So continuing on, and I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but look at Romans 11, verse 29. The scripture says that God, he said, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Well, many heretics, once saved, always saved, try to claim that, that once they're saved, they cannot be unsaved because God doesn't take his gifts away. They don't read the context of what he's talking about. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, applied to the Jews, applied to Israel and their calling. And though many were cut off, God was still going to bring the Messiah through the Jew. Salvation was of the Jew. Well, we know if you study scripture, you can be an apostle and a prophet and be cut off from the vine if you don't remain in obedience. See, they like to take one scripture. That's what heretics always do. It doesn't nullify 20 others. They think it's a competition. Well, you quote your scripture and I'll... No, James and Paul did not disagree, only the heretic. So the heretic does away with things he don't like because they conform and they're in harmony and he don't like that. So when James says a man is not justified by faith alone, but by works, he's talking about spiritual works. Well, people say, well, that's not true. We're saved by faith alone. No, the scripture doesn't say that. Heretics say that. If you have true faith, you'll have true spiritual works. If you have the true Christianity, then you will abide in Christ and obey him and produce fruit. And if you don't, you will not have Christianity or Christ, and he'll cut you off. The Father will remove you from Christ. See, they don't want to harmonize those scriptures because it alters their false doctrine. So the gifts and callings of God, he's referring to the overall plan of God, not the individual, because the scriptures already told us. Judas fell by transgression. He didn't fall because he was predestined to fall. God shares certain knowledge. But Judas wasn't. It could have been another apostle. It's just he was given the knowledge. But he fell, the Bible says. That means he had a right standing at one time. He was sent out with the others and healed and cast out devils and did everything in the three and a half minute years ministry that the others did. But then something happened to him and he started entertaining the devil and he started to make plans and Jesus did not expose him because he knew the scripture was going to come about and he called him his friend at the end, remember, when he betrayed him. But it says he fell by transgression. Psalm says, let another take his office. It means he don't have that office anymore. And so we see then that the individual can be cut off or the individual can be grafted in. But it's going to be an olive tree. It's always going to be the olive tree and the vine. They're not going to be altered, okay? And so we see that the church, hell shall not prevail against the true church. Whether there's two or three people, that's the true church. Whether they're just candles about and no real fellowship or lampstand, there's still going to be a church, okay? So that's what God's saying. So he's referring to Israel's call and the promises to Abraham, the prophets, and David. That's what's irrevocable. That's what he's going to do. An example, after the nation two or three times under Moses sinned against God, one time God said, stand aside, Moses, and I'll kill every one of them. 
and I'll make a nation of you. It may have altered things a few hundred years, as a, but God meant it. He wasn't just spouting. And Moses was given opportunities to stand in the gap and persuade God to be merciful. God doesn't play games with people. Some people think he's just playing games. No, he's not. If he threatens, he intends to carry through with it if the threat is not averted and repented of. He does not waste his breath and play games with people. So he told Moses, I'll wipe the whole nation out and start over with you. But I'm going to have a people. That's what he meant. And if I can't find none now, I'll find one with you and later. We'll start another one. So that was not beyond God's wisdom to do that. People think God boxes himself in. He does not. Even his foreknowledge and what people call prayer does not box God in. He sees the end from the beginning and what people will do under certain circumstances, and he can intervene and change it. Or he can let it go on and leave it alone. See, there's no wisdom against the Lord. He does things, and his knowledge and foreknowledge is far beyond us, but he holds us accountable to what we're given. He's dealing with us in what I call the eternal present. He's not dealing with, he doesn't look into the future and say, oh, I've got to do this because I've seen the future. That's a bunch of foolishness. They're intellectual idiots and fools, and that's why God keeps the gospel for most of them. See, God doesn't choose them. He hides the truth from them. Remember, Jesus said, I, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hid these things from the wife. He lets them believe what they want to believe. And, and like I've said before, I still do it at times. When I knew that people wanted to argue scripture and they weren't really interested, they come up with questions to try to confuse. Oh, I had people years ago when I was doing construction work come up to me and say, well, I just have a question. Where did Cain get his wife? See, they're trying to trap you because the scriptures does not give a, a clear answer. It's assumed. And so I look at it real plain and say, he got her out of a cabbage patch. And they look so surprised. See, I'm not going to play the game with them. Let them be deceived and fooled. I don't believe in casting pearls before swine. And even Jesus told Peter and them when they said the Pharisees and the scribes were offended at you. He said, leave them alone. If the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into the pit. He's saying the false teacher and the distorted one that twists my scripture, he said they'll all end up in hell and those who follow him. So there's a time the Lord says, leave them alone. Don't waste your time. with." Uh, and as I've said countless times, Paul said when you have heretics that come into the church or produce themselves in the church, he says you warn them a couple of times and you have nothing to do with them. You excommunicate them. You put them out of the fellow. You don't waste time, years and years, trying to give them. God doesn't. See? See, that's a lie. He is not the hound of heaven that persists with the person for 30 and 40 years. Read Proverbs. In most cases, these people are hardened and cut off eventually. So don't be adding things to Scripture you don't understand. See, that's why they do away with the fear of the Lord. There is a fear. And the Christians taught, don't sin against him because you're not that special. You may be in covenant and you may be a child and he may have an intimate relation with you, but better than you have gone to hell because they backslid. 
and they turned away from the Lord in their life, like Solomon did. He started off righteous and ended up a wicked idolater. And the only good thing that Jesus said about him, which shows you had no regard for him, he dressed real well. And the scripture said, Jesus said, in all of his glory, all of his great attire of gold and silver and jewel, he said he couldn't surpass the flowers of the field. In all of his glory, he was not like them. That's the only thing Christ ever said about Solomon, because he was a lost idolater. He didn't say nothing good about him, okay? Because he had greater privileges, and God did things for him that even he didn't openly do for David. And he ended up rebelling. And the Bible says the Lord warned him twice in dreams, so he didn't take God's warning. And so he reaped the consequences, okay? So we're seeing the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. This refers to Israel and the promises, not to the individual that's a branch of Christ, because he's already told us, you'll be cut off if you don't bear fruit. Every branch in me, the heretic says, well, they really weren't, well, Christ said they were. How could they be in Christ and not, when he said every branch in me, he didn't say that professes to be in me. And then Paul later says, there shall be a falling away from the church. And people like to say, well, that means denomination. No, it don't. It means they were true Christians and they fall away. See, they don't want to accept that because it interferes with their false doctrine. Okay? So we see this. False teachers will take these scriptures out of context, what God intended, and they'll say, oh, that means once saved, always saved. God will never revoke what he's promised me. He's promised me eternal life. Well, we see that many Christians have backslid and been cut off as the time gets darker. Okay? So if they're not in Christ, but the gates of hell will not prevail against the true Christian if he stays with Christ. Okay? So Jesus, as I said before, asked the great question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith, true faith, on the earth? It's implying it's going to be so dark that at the time he was limited to his humanity. And the Father didn't reveal this to them. He didn't know the time or date that he was coming back until he was glorified. On earth, he did not have the use of divine knowledge. He had to submit as a prophet, as a teacher, as a man. So he couldn't know certain things. But he surely knows it now. Once he would return to the glory of the Godhead, he knows everything, okay? So he's talking about the individual. So he says, will I find faith when I come back? Well, he's told us too, it's going to be so dark that there's going to be few that find it. And there's going to be a great multitude of false Christianity and false prophets and teachers. And they're not going to be many really true Christians when the Lord comes back. Okay? So people, there's not going to be no great revival. There's not going to be no worldwide revival. That's a fallacy if they understand Scripture. So he says in verse 5, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? And so he says, I'm speaking concerning 
on human terms. So like the sinner under grace, oh, the more I sin, the more of God's grace. They're hypocrites, see? They're using that as an excuse not to be judged. Well, why should he judge me? I'm showing forth the grace of God. Why, you hypocrite? That's what Paul is basically implying. He said, I'm speaking in human terms. Let's go to verse 7. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? You're saying if God extends such grace and I'm sending to bring forth the grace of God, how can he judge us? Well, you're going to find out at the day of judgment. He said, but if through my lie, the truth of God's grace and glory abounds, then why am I still being judged as a sinner? Because you are a sinner, and you're misusing the grace of God. And as Paul said, the grace of God will be bestowed upon you in vain. He said, don't let it happen. He told the Galatians that went from the spiritual things back to the law and its teachings and stuff, He said, I'm praying that God be formed in you again. Why? Because Christ has left you. You've been cut off from Christ because you refuse to accept him, and you've gone back to the principles of the law. He makes it very plain. He said, I will pray that Christ will be formed in you again. He wasn't being hypothetical as the heretics. Oh, he was just saying that. No, he meant it. He knew that some had forsaken Christ and gone back to Judaism and the law. Some of the Jews started in Christ, but they didn't stay with Christ. They weren't led of the Spirit. They had a one-time experience. They didn't last too long. That's what he meant, okay? So human thinking said, well, if we sin greatly, then we see God's great grace. So we should be rewarded instead of punishment. Aren't we honoring God? Yeah. Then why does God judge the wicked, professing Christian or not? Because that isn't the case, is what he's telling them. So the one saved, always saved, can fit here. It ain't going to happen. They don't abide in Christ. They don't produce spiritual works, which is obedient and good fruit. They don't remain Christians. He denies them. He cuts them off from the vine. So verse 7 again, that if through my lie, the truth of God's grace comes, well, it's a lie. So if speaking as a man, if my wickedness can lead to great grace, why should I be judged? Hmm. Adam sinned, and one third of angels sinned and fell, and the good angels never would have seen God's full judgment until sin came about. So there was things about God they they didn't understand. They didn't see the full extent of what holiness is, that they serve such a holy God that he comes against sin and wickedness because it wasn't demonstrated. Nobody, no angel had sinned against him. And that's probably one of the reasons Lucifer thought he could get away with it. He proceeded with his plan. And we don't know how long it went on, days, months, a year. He said, I will be like the Most High God. Well, I guess he didn't consider that God would do anything about it. God would just let him go about his business. You see? He found out differently, didn't he? Uh Uh-huh. And so we see the holiness of God. We never would have seen the great grace of God 
existing grace to redeem mankind. That the angels marveled at, that God's taking uh, wicked people and offering them a way out, which he did not do for the angels. So until sin came in through Lucifer and through the fall of Adam and Eve, no judgment, no anger, no wrath was demonstrated. It wasn't needed to be. But no grace, great grace, was not being seen either. See, we forget the angels were created holy. They were never wicked. They never stood in God's power and said, oh, I'm a sinful compared to you, like some of these false teachers teach. No, they were made holy and they stayed holy. They were always beholding the face of God. Their bowing was the reverence of God in his holiness, his overwhelming power. Not because they were sinners. I've heard preachers say, well, the best of angels are sinners. No, they're not. You blaspheme God by saying such. They were created holy, and the righteous angels did not need a redeemer because they did not fall. And they're still righteous and holy. See? Because they stayed in with God. Okay? He was sent to sinners and wicked. And even Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not for the righteous, but for the wicked he called to repentance. He didn't call the righteous. The righteous would come into the covenant because they were discipled properly like John the Baptist did. We say six of the disciples of Jesus immediately left John and went with Jesus. Jesus didn't say, oh, you're a filthy sinner. Now I'll save you. No, they were righteous. They repented under John the Baptist if they needed repentance. And if they were obeying the law the best they knew, they moved right into the new covenant. Cornelius moved right into the new covenant. Not once does the angel mention sin against him. Why? Because he was a righteous Gentile. And when he was given the full light as a response, the angel said, because of your good works, your memorial, God's going to offer you more grace and show you something. He was never called a filthy sinner, as people like to make him out to be. Why, he was more righteous than most Jews were. I mean, when Jesus commended some of the Gentiles for their faith, he looked around and said, I've not found this kind of faith among the Jews. He expected to find more from them. They were the covenant people. So he was impressed with some of these Gentiles. And he altered the principles of rules and regulations to grant them their request. He had no, at the time, the Gentiles were not considered in the promises of Israel. And when the poor woman came and asked that Jesus would deliver her daughter, Jesus initially said, the disciples said, why do, why do you listen to her? He was sort of ignoring her. And he said, I've come for the Jews. So he was saying, I didn't come at this time for the Gentile. And you know, the woman thought this out and said, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the children's table. She considered herself a Gentile dog, which the Gentiles considered her. Not without hope, or without hope of the covenant of the Jews. And you know, that so impressed Jesus. He said, great is your faith. He overrode the principles to Israel and everything. The faith superseded it. 
He said, I've not found this kind of faith before. So he was saying that faith superseded certain things, like the love of God does, doing good to people. That's the higher law. So she went to the higher law, and she said, yes, but the dogs get the crumbs from the children's table. And he thought, oh, my gracious, this woman has insight. And he said, it's granite for you. Isn't that astounding? And like I say, there was another man, Jesus said, I've not found such faith among Jews. And he expected it more from them, but he didn't get it, okay? So he's saying that we see God's grace and judgment in a way we have never seen unless the angels sinned and man fell. Didn't change God. People say, well, because he didn't exercise. No, we could say from the human standpoint, it lied dormant. It wasn't needed. The expression of judgment and wrath against evil and holiness was not needed until evil manifested itself. Then God knew how to respond to it. He didn't come up with something new. It was there if people understood it, but it wasn't needed. And that's probably why one-third of the angels sinned against him to a great degree. They'd never seen God's anger or wrath. They didn't need to. They need to obey him and stay in the, with him. And they chose not to. Then when he brought forth his judgment, they were shocked. Lucifer and them were shocked when God stripped them of all holiness and everything of him was removed from them. Then the light bearer, that's what Lucifer meant, son of the morning, light bearer, became the prince of darkness. There was no goodness in him. See, now that's total depraved, okay? So we look at verse 3-8, and why not say, as we are slanderous reported, he said they slander us, and say we claim to say certain things, which we didn't. Let us do evil that good may come. Let's do great sin, and we can see great grace. Well, they started quoting Paul as saying that, but he has an answer for them. Their condemnation is just. That means their damnation will be just when God judges and sentences them to hell at the day of judgment. So they can say all they want to say, but God has changed, okay? So those false teachers, they were slandering him and saying that we were saying such things. Well, didn't Peter say they would do that? We'll see that in a minute. So that was Paul's response to such. There, false teachers, damnation is just, and their end will be just, the wrath of God. Their evil will not be credited to them for showing God's great grace, as they think it will be. See, they're under a deception. That's what the lying spirit does to the sinner that doesn't repent and turn to the Lord. He deceives them further. So as I said many times, I refer to it many times. Second Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16. He says, it's the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. So he puts up with the sinner and doesn't judge him immediately, hoping that he will come to Christ and have salvation. That's God's long suffering 
That's God so loved the world. He doesn't judge them. I mean, they're still his enemies, regardless of what the modern preacher says. Well, God's not mad anymore. Yes, he is. He can be angry toward the sinner all day long, but he can still extend grace to them, offer them a peace treaty. But until they accept the peace treaty, he's still angry at them and their sin, and he's going to punish them for it. See, they don't quote those scriptures. Like Jesus said, they don't believe on the Son. He said, the wrath of God remains on them. They think Jesus is bringing forth something better than Jehovah. No, he is Jehovah. He hasn't changed. His attitude towards sin has never changed. He's offered mercy and grace. And those who don't receive it, they still get the wrath of God eventually carried out. And notice what he says. As our beloved Paul, now this is Peter speaking, they weren't in competition. He wasn't in competition with James. As our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. And also in all of his epistles, he considered the word of God, Paul's epistle scripture, speaking of them things that are hard to understand. That means to the wicked mainly. They'll never understand. The scripture says the wicked shall never understand. As long as he stays in his sin and will not repent, he does not get spiritual insight. He gets more deception. That's the consequence of God's judgment on him. And those who are untaught haven't been given the full truth. Those who are unstable, double-minded, they twist to their own destruction. Well, see, he's quoting what Paul was just saying they were saying about him and slandering him and saying, well, Paul says, no, he didn't say this. See, they want to make a better gospel. (laughs) They want to license the sin. I wonder who that sounds like today, a license the sin. No matter what we do, we're saved and cannot be unsaved. Well, you're going to find out differently. He said, Peter, as they do all scripture. So this statement alone, his epistles are called scripture by Peter. He accepted them as scripture. He knew the great grace and wisdom that was given to him. He recognized this as James did, okay? And he said what? As they do all scripture. What do they do to all scripture? They twist it. They pervert it. They cannot fully understand it because as long as they're in their sins, God hides the truth from them. That's a consequence of sin, being hardened and deceived. That's where most people are in it, okay? So they need to understand that. Their actions determines whether they'll get truth or not often. And when he does extend truth to the wicked and they refuse it, he hardens them further. They're more accountable. Like we said, Peter said it's better not that a person been saved and come to the Lord than to turn away from him because their punishment's going to be greater, much greater than the normal sinner that's not come to the Lord because they've been given great grace. They're going to answer for judgment for that which they did not yield to. Okay, and what does the scripture say? God sends them. God takes credit for it. Lying spirits to delude them. If you don't believe the spirit of truth, he'll turn you over the lion spirits. Oh, people don't want to believe that. Well, that's what he's going to do 
And that's what he's doing. And when the Antichrist comes, he's going to do the same. He said, he'll send them a strong delusion. Who will send it? Didn't say the devil. Oh, the devil's a part of it. But it's God that sends the devil to delude them because they didn't want the truth. They didn't want to acknowledge the truth. That's the response of God's spirit to what evildoers who don't repent and don't accept his offer of grace. That's going to be his response. And what is going to happen? Peter and Jude and them, they say swift destruction comes upon this. Well, they're not struck by lightning. They're not killed. The swift destruction is like to the Calvinistic, once saved, always saved. They're cut off from grace. They're already dead toward him. They think they're Christians and they're not. They think, oh, once saved, always saved. I can go sin all I want and I'll just lose a few rewards. Well, they're already deceived. They were already cut off from Christ and they don't know it. He lets them believe they're Christians. Like the multitude, Lord, Lord, I believe you died on a cross. I believe you don't. And he says, I never knew you. The masses of them that profess Christianity were never saved. But there will be heretics and people who give heed to lying spirits who were once Christians. And then swift destruction. They were cut off from Christ. He doesn't bear with the Christian living in adultery and fornicate. He doesn't bear with him for years. You don't find that in Scripture. Jesus said, repent quickly. Let's not take your lampstand. He said, you won't be a church no more if you don't start repenting real quickly. So he may give a little space, but he don't give months and years for people. They're cut off. So he warns them, swift destruction comes upon them, not annihilation. So destruction is corruption. The wicked is not annihilated. He's punished in the lake of fire for eternity. But what happens to him happens to Lucifer. Lucifer's wisdom, he was given greatest wisdom of the angels, and he corrupted it by sin. And God judged him. And what did Jesus say about Lucifer? Once God stood up and said, the testing's over, and shuts the door, Jesus said, as God, he saw this. He said, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Once God said, it's enough, it was a moment, an instant of time, Lucifer became Satan. And God removed everything from him. See, that's a short period. And the same's going to happen at the rapture. Less than a twinkling of an eye, a split second, the mortal's going to put on immortality. God does it all in a split second. Isn't that astounding? So he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Well, when you look at lightning, it's instant, isn't it? And that's what happened to him. Okay, in verse 9, what then? Are we better than they, we Gentiles, are we better than the Jews? And he was saying, not at all. For we both have already seen, we've been charged, that both Jews and Greeks, that means Gentiles, are all under sin. See, he's going to get back to the point that everybody needs a Savior. You may be a less sinner, or you may be a more righteous person, but 
everyone sometime in their life has sinned and has the inherent nature that needs to be dealt with also, okay? So are we Jews better than the Gentiles? Not at all. For both Jew and Gentile have sinned against God. At our very best, even a good Jew under covenant or a good Gentile under his conscience has failed at times. He has sinned. And no sin can be excused or forgotten without blood and payment. It cannot be accepted. So if you ever sinned once, you were a sinner until the sins were moved. All need a Savior. And see, the perverted heretics, they like to use this as an excuse for their sin. Well, it don't matter if we kill, cheat, lie, steal, or if we tell a little white lie. We're all sinners. See, they pervert the gospel. They license sin. That's how you know they're false and they're heretics. They don't rightly divide the word of truth. But a sinner, the best person in the world, even Solomon, when he was writing a proverb, said, and when he was dedicating a temple, said, forgive us, Lord, for not one of man has not sinned. So he said, as long as there's a sin, God can't just overlook it. No matter how good you try to be later, you have to deal with that sin. And because of that, Christ has to be a savior to everybody. So, And so those who kept the law and performed sacrifice, their sins were covered and eventually forgiven and removed by Christ, the Messiah. If they lived in their covenant, God honored it. And a Gentile, if he did his best and tried to morally be upright and righteous, God honored it. He winked at things they didn't know. But Christ had to cover both. Eventually, he had to cover all sin, see? One sin was enough to separate you. We saw that with Adam and Eve, didn't we? Something very simple, just eating a piece of fruit. Damned the whole human race. And the sinful nature was transferred. And so we see God holds them accountable and God made provisions immediately for Adam and Eve even. He killed an animal and made proper covering. It was a symbol of what Christ would do. The blood would cover your sins. He was already beginning to show man that I will have a plan and effect. So Adam and Eve were covered. God killed the animals and covered them with the skins. And it was a symbol that God's blood covered your nakedness. Christ took care of sin. So that was to look forward to. So we see that, okay? And now as we read, we may have to wait. We'll wait for the next lesson because we're going to read about eight or ten verses that are direct quotes out of the Psalms and Isaiah. And they're going to show the extent of man's sin at his least and at his worst. And that's what it means. We will see what he says in verse 10. There is none not righteous, no, not one. But they're not all lumped together, as the heretic likes to teach. They all, it don't matter. Yes, it does matter. If you were more sinful, you got judged more and hardened by God. If you were less sinful and tried to be righteous, God could overlook certain things and wink at certain things, and he could forgive certain things. 
But ultimately, Christ had to take care of it. The sins of the old covenant by sacrifice simply covered the sin. Christ removed it. He purified the conscience and removed the sin that he did not do under the old covenant. Okay? So he's extending his revelation. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding of your covenants and the way you are, and that we not pervert your words and take scripture out of context like most do to their own damnation. Give us wisdom and insight in Jesus' name. Amen.